Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. You know, it is a blessing to be able to worship the Lord with you. I'm so thankful that you're here. We have uh, a few families on vacation, and we just pray for their uh, safety. But, um, man, I'll tell you, God really moved in our service at the nursing home this morning. Uh, many of you, uh, we have Sunday school here, but... Um, we also, we have church at a local nursing home every Sunday morning. We do a church service for them. Um, you know, we're, we're not one of those churches that believes in keeping everything in the four walls. Um, and uh, we like to go out and just help those that are, you know, lonely and hurting. And if you've ever uh, had a loved one in a, in a nursing home or, uh, you know, seen, you know, that, that atmosphere, sometimes it's heartbreaking. And so we just like to come and bring the love of Jesus to those to each one of those people, and it's been such a blessing, but we had a great service this morning, um, and I'm thankful that God is continuing to move here. I love love uh, Sister Lindsay leading us. It's just been a blessing. We've been having church at home, singing ourselves and stuff, so, um, but, but anyways, um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to... Uh, I want to start out with Revelation chapter number 7. The book of Revelation chapter number 7. That's where we're going to start. Start at the end and work our way backwards. <laughs> well, you heard it. You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell anybody. No, um, no, we we, uh, we yeah we do we have fun singing. We uh, we had some. Uh, the uh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Man, we we were having, we had some church when we were practicing that song. But um, okay, Jeremiah. I mean, uh, Revelation chapter number seven. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get started this morning. Revelation chapter number seven. Praise the Lord. Well, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open the Word of God. Lord, we thank you that your Word is truth. Your Word, it says, is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. We thank you, Father, that your Word, uh, you preserve your Word. You magnify it above your very name, you said. Father, we thank you that we come to the Word of God this morning and we ask for your anointing to be upon it and upon the preaching of it. Father, I ask for your anointing to minister this message as you desire. And Lord, we ask for your anointing to receive what you have for us. And God, we give you glory for it right now. And Father, we ask your blessing in Jesus' holy name. And everybody says, Amen. 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 I want to start... Um, here in Revelation chapter number 7, uh, beginning in verse number 14, this is a, 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 an image of what is taking place in heaven. Um, in, it says in verse number 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Which is a direct reference to Isaiah chapter number 1. It says that though our sins were as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. This verse here is a direct reference that any person who has sin in their life, the only way that sin to be removed is it by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, every single person that is in heaven has been born again, according to John chapter number 3. No man will enter into heaven unless he's born again. So if you've never been born again, you're not going to make it to heaven based on your good works, based on your last name. You can even join a church. You can even pastor a church and not be born again. There are many in our nation that probably are not born again. But don't misunderstand what the Lord is saying when He says that you must be born again to enter into heaven. So it is not based on your good works because our good works will never be good enough. Amen. 
Our good works will never be good enough. Uh, the price to become holy cannot be attained by a sinful man. Amen. You cannot do anything to make yourself holy enough to be able to even knock on the pearly gates. You will not even see the kingdom of God, Jesus said. That's how holy God is, and that's how sinful we are. And unless our spirit has been born from above, born again, we will not even see God. So first and foremost, just got to say that the only people who are in heaven are saved sinners. This is not people who were perfect. This is not people from Europe or Antarctica or China. It's none of that. The only people who go to heaven are sinners who have been saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what continent you were born in. It doesn't matter what family you were born in. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. All that matters is if, you're, if your sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. The only way people like us can go to heaven is if Jesus makes us holy by His blood. Okay, that's it. Not of your own works, lest man should boast, according to Ephesians chapter number 2. Okay, follow along with me in verse number 15. We're going to work our way down to 17 and, 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 and move forward. Therefore, are they before the throne of God? These are the people who have been uh, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? The people that have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, they are before the throne of God. They're not fishing on Pluto. They're not visiting Mercury or Mars or hop-skipping across universes and stars and all kinds of stuff. Where are they? They are gathered around the throne. The center of all heaven is the throne of God. The center of all that exists is Jesus. Amen. And every single person who is there, and one day, Lord willing, you'll be there too, to join in the chorus of the heavenly quartet times a million. <laughs> one day we'll be there and we'll be singing around the throne as well. Look what he says. Uh, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. You see, God ministers to His people. He doesn't just demand that you worship Him. It says He dwells with His people. He dwells with His people. In verse number 16, it says... They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, it's with a capital L, by the way, just so you know, this is talking about Jesus, Amen. the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That lamb, that lamb that John the Baptist saw is the lamb who is on the throne. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. These people in heaven, Jesus leads them to a source of living water to sustain them throughout all of eternity. And God shall wipe away all. Everybody say all. all. It's a tricky word. It means all. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. As you go throughout some more passages in Revelation, there's many more, many more instances where this is referred, but it is no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more tribulation. 
And God, not only is it not existent, but God wipes the tears away. That means that for every hardship you ever endured, God ministers directly to that pain. God ministers directly to that pain. Every wrong will be made right. Every broken heart will be mended. Everything that's out of joint will be put back together again. It wipes away the tears, meaning God is not content to see us just sit and mourn. But God Himself will actually come. Can you imagine? Just think for a moment. I know it's hard to think. It's 2018. You're told not to think. Just think for a moment. The Lamb of God who all of creation bows down to worship will step down and wipe your tear. Can you imagine all of creation going, wow, He's wiping her tear. Right? And you know sometimes you're in a place and you feel like nobody sees you and nobody cares. God does. It's been said that tears are a language that God speaks. No one else may know why I cry in the midnight hour, but God does. No one else knows what it's like to walk in your shoes, but God does. God does. And every single tear He wipes. Can you imagine all of heaven singing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then Jesus locks His eyes on you. He says, Oh, you hurt? And the choir stops in stunned silence and the Lord comes down to you and wipes. That tear. God loves you. God loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus. He loves you so much and you were so rotten you had no chance of being with Him. He loves you so much He gave the most precious gift He could ever have given. Jesus. Jesus who always existed Never had a beginning. All things were created by Him, for Him, through Him, and unto Him. Jesus, that is amazing. That God would see you and minister to you and bring you to the fountain of living water. I'm going to ask you this morning, when was the last time you felt like you had a drink of living water? Because only God can lead you to the living water. Living water doesn't come from getting a certificate. It doesn't come from going to seminary and getting a PhD behind your name. The fountain of living water doesn't come from a bonus. It doesn't come from a new car. Somebody could sign you over a brand new house and give it to you. But it doesn't put living water in your soul. Amen. You could be the, the, the wealthiest person on earth and the most miserable person on earth at the same time. Amen. Lest you forget what Paul said. He said, I learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. We always quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go a few verses in front of that and see why he said that. He said, I can be content in whatever I find myself in. Whether he has food or not. Whether he has shelter or not. Whether he has friends or not. Whether anybody likes him or not. Whether everybody's against him or not. That's what he's talking about. No matter what's going on in my life, whether I have nothing, 
or whether I have everything, I find that I can be content in whatever state God puts me in because if I've got God, I've got enough. Amen. If I've got God, I've got the fountain of the living water. Yeah. And it'll sustain my soul through my darkest days, through the desert season, through a time when everybody turns against me, through a time when everybody hopes that you fall, through a time when everybody forgets about you, from a time such as that, that fountain of living water swells up in the soul. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. And God alone knows how to apply this fountain of living water to your soul. The question is, do you have the fountain of living water today? That's the question. Do you have the fountain of living water today? I want to ask you that question, and I want you to, to think it over as we go through this message. But you and only you know whether you're holding on for dear life or whether the fountain of living water is welling up in you. The difference is this. Joy, peace, and love. You know the old song, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. That comes from a soul that has been in contact with living water. God's going to make it available to you today. You walk through life, life will eat you up and spit you out. Amen. This world will rob you from the very life that God gave you. It will rob you of your innocence and cause people to do you harm and spit on you while they leave. But God will wipe your tears. And God will lead you to the fountain of living water. If you'll take His hand, if you'll take His hand, He'll take you to that place where it's only you and Him. He'll take you to that place where nothing else matters but you and Him. And He will minister liberally to your soul. This morning... Is God welling up in your soul? Is God welling up in your soul? Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter number 2, please. Jeremiah chapter number 2, in verse number... Uh, Verse number 13, what you see in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and everybody just looked at their phones and looked at their watches, wondered what time he was going to stop preaching. He's called the weeping prophet because nobody listened to him. It just shows you right there. A man of God in tune with God and the whole nation rejected his message. Saul so Leonard Ravenhill, he said, if you want to be popular, preach happiness. But if you want to be godly and unpopular, preach holiness. Amen. Well, that's the message nobody likes to hear. Be holy for God is holy. Everybody says, turn the channel. But anyways, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he preached and preached and preached. Nobody listened. Well, what was it that he was preaching? He was preaching that Israel had turned their back on God. And that God was just about done with it. If they didn't turn back, God was going to cause the destruction of Jerusalem. Amen. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. It's like people in America. They don't, they don't think, they, they can't fathom that America may not exist one day. Well, the center of all of God's creation is not America. It's Jesus. Amen. So there will be a day when there is no America. Amen. 
Our, uh, our truest allegiance should be to the Lamb. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, here we, watch this. Jeremiah chapter 2. What is it that Jeremiah was preaching? This whole book of Jeremiah is all about him weeping, telling the nation they've done wrong. And here is the summation of what they've done wrong. According to the Lord through Jeremiah in verse number 13. He says, My people... This is God speaking through Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. This is the charge that God has against Israel. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Well, number one, the first thing that they did is they forsook God. And he clarifies who he is by saying they forsook me, the fountain of living water. Uh, this word forsake is the same word as apostatize. It means to turn away, to depart from. It means to leave. It means to abandon. So what happened was before they went and defiled themselves by worshiping other gods, they first left God in their heart. They forsook God in their heart. Now, don't be mistaken, because you're talking about in Jerusalem, so the sacrificial system was still going on. They were still bringing lambs. They were still bringing first fruit offerings. They were still doing all the things that were commanded in, 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 um, in Leviticus and in Exodus and in Numbers and Deuteronomy. They were following the whole system of everything. But there comes a point in time when if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, God says, uh-uh, buddy. In fact, in Isaiah, in one passage, God says that their, sab their Sabbaths stink. Just because somebody keeps a Sabbath don't mean they're keeping it for the right reason. Amen. And they had begun to do the right thing for the wrong reason. God said that they forsook Him first. So they first began to depart from God in their heart. Now this is a, 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 a matter of, of utmost importance. Your heart. Nobody else can cause your heart to long for God. Amen. Nobody else can cause you to prioritize God. Nobody else is going to go home with you tonight and say, you know, okay, now let's, let's desire to pray to God. This is something you've got to cultivate. If your heart is out of tune with God, don't leave here that way. If your heart is out of tune with God, don't leave here that way. Get your heart right with God. Utmost priority is a heart right with God. And this first charge against them, they had pursued God. Now listen. Listen. Imagine the temple. All of the sacrifices are still going on. The carnival is still going on. Never skip the beat. The religious system keeps going. Men will always be religious. God doesn't, know, God doesn't care if you're religious. He cares if you're godly. Amen. He cares if, you're, if your heart is right with Him. Amen. Don't forget what He says. To love the Lord your God with what first? Your heart first. Love the Lord your God with your heart first. He says He would circumcise with the heart. That's what God was looking for. When God circumcised Israel physically, it was a picture of what He was supposed to be doing in their heart. God's after the heart of man. He says that they forsook him, the fountain of living water. This is the same fountain of living water that we just read about in the book of Revelation. This is that same fountain. He is describing himself as the fountain of living water. And God 
himself can and will sustain every person that comes to him in this way. But what did they do? Uh, first, they loved God in their heart. And then secondly, they hewed cisterns. And he clarifies it and says, broken cisterns. What does that mean? Uh, this was something that collected water. Okay, This is like a pot that collects rainwater. If you have a choice to take a drink out of a pot that collects rainwater or a drink from a living fountain, I would choose the fountain. Amen. Because the pot that collects the rainwater is where the mosquitoes kind of hover over and things get stale and things start growing in there and it starts leaking out and you never know. You know, if you drink it all, it's gone, right? But the fountain of living water never runs dry. It always supplies all that the soul needs. He's not talking about a real physical fountain. He's talking about a spiritual fountain that will fulfill and sustain all of the needs of your soul. All the needs of your soul God provides. Amen. And the well never runs dry. God never says, I'm, I'm out of peace. Come back in an hour. I'm making it. God never says, I'm out of joy. God said, He is the fountain of living water. Have you drunk from the fountain of living water today? Has God ministered to your soul today? I'm not talking about what you drank last week. Today. Today, you need a drink from the fountain of living water. So these two things Israel did and God held it against them and God prophesied and prophesied and prophesied against them that uh, you know He wanted them to change. He wanted them to stop drinking from broken cisterns. Now, we know that what he's talking about is false religious systems. They were worshiping every idol under the sun. They were worshiping Molech and uh, all kinds of, of crazy false gods. Um, just like today when, when, when people give their babies to the abortion mill, people were doing it to Molech back then. All kinds of evil things were still going on and these people were broken. When, when you've lived in a system like that, it, 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 it breaks people. It, it, it puts condemnation on people. But God's desire was to mend their brokenness. If they would just turn away from those things and turn to God, God would heal them. Amen. And it's the same way today. If you've been in this system of the world and you've gone on the wrong side of the tracks and you've done the wrong thing, God's desire is to bring you back into the fold of God to minister the fountain of living water to your soul to restore to you your innocence and your integrity and to give you a new hope and a new future. And He'll do it the minute you cry out for help. So these fountains of living water, he describes himself as here in Jeremiah chapter number 2. Now if you will, turn with me to John chapter number 4. We're going to tie this message together. In John chapter number 4, the Lord Jesus is on the scene. And if you don't know who Jesus is, he is the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. But He is God, God the Son. Jesus was not a good teacher. He wasn't a rabbi, a master. He was, none. He was God manifest in flesh. Amen. God. God of very God became a man. This is what the theologians use a $5 word called the hypostatic union. This means He was completely God and completely man at the same time. Two, two, two parts of Him at the same time. Fully God, fully man. Not half and half. Fully God and fully man. Well, Jesus, as fully man, He had to eat, He had to drink. He got tired, He got weary, but as God, He walked on water. He knew what people's thoughts were. He could forgive their sins, heal their bodies, and provide food for 5,000 people from a bucket of fish. And so he comes to Samaria, 
And, and if you don't know what Samaria is, these are um, offshoots of Israel. They worship God slightly different. They had their own temple system. They thought that they were supposed to worship a different way on a different mountain. If you're not familiar with it, the, 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 the temple of God in Jerusalem is built on Mount Moriah. Uh, Mount Moriah is where Abraham offered up Isaac. All ties together. But the Samaritans, they believe that you should worship on a different mountain. And so the Jews look down on them very strongly. Here you have racial issues back then. Jesus breaks down every single one of those barriers that men build up. Amen. Every single barrier that a man builds, Christ destroys. With Christ, you're either saved or lost. That's it. Amen. You're either a sheep or a goat. Destined for heaven or destined for hell. It makes no difference where you're from, how you talk, or how you walk. Jesus breaks down the barriers that men build up. It's regarding that issue, never forget that we are all part of the human race. We're all of Adam. From Adam, all men came. Human race. There's no such thing as races. It's human race. Now, here we see in verse number 6, John chapter 4, verse number 6, it says, Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I don't know that it was as hot as it is here right now, but I'm sure it was hot at this time. Verse number 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now do you notice he didn't hold his nose while he said it? Because that's what they were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to talk to these folks. For his disciples were gone into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto her, Notice that he doesn't answer her question. You notice that? He, she's trying to deal with this racial issue. She's trying to deal with this, this, this worldly, man-made issue. Jesus does not even address it. Amen. He bypasses it because he's breaking it down. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now you're starting to see something. This same living water that exists around the throne of God, the same living water that God calls himself in Jeremiah 2, this is what Jesus tells this woman in Samaria, he says, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. Not water that you get out of a well. Water that never runs dry. Water for your weariness. Water for your weariness. The woman said to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well's deep. From whence hast thou that living water? She's thinking physically. Are thou greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So she's still thinking about her worldly care. She's still thinking of when, when, when you go to church or you go to God, you open up the Bible, if all you think about is worldly things, you're missing what God has for you. If you will lay aside the cares of the world for a minute, 
and begin to seek God first and His righteousness, God will begin to supply all that you need. Amen. People always go to God, need a new job, get a new job, and then they leave God. Need a car, get a car, leave God. But if you'll come to God for God, you'll have what you'll always need. Watch this. In verse number 13. So she's thinking of this physical and she's saying, you know, where are you getting this water from? You think you're better than Jacob? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. You're only thinking about cars and people and groceries and bills. You'll thirst again. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whosoever, think, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The, the water that Jesus gives a person, it, it goes past worldly goods. He's not talking about He'll give you airplanes and Cadillacs and houses and spouses. I've got to say that because people in Utah might hear this. But His promise is not to worldly good. His promise is to the well-being of a soul. He's after the broken places within us. The fountain of living water that never runs dry is the peace that passes all understanding. The well of living water is hope that rises up even in the midnight hour when all my friends have left me and everybody's deserted me. There's something that rises up within me that makes no sense. It's God. It is God, a very God, the fountain of living water. He said in Hebrews that He will never leave you and never forsake you. And Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you even until the end of the earth. God will go with you through the fire. He will go with you through the trial. He will be there beside you in the midnight hour when all of life is turned upside down. When the people who are supposed to be there aren't. When there's nobody there to comfort us, God is there within us. We're described in Corinthians as the temple of the living God now. Know you not that you are the temple of the living God. We have as believers, the fountain of living water within us, the hope that rises up, the peace that sustains, the joy that is unmistakable. Think about, always think about Paul's life of persecution. They stoned him and thought he was dead. They whooped him. He was naked, abandoned, abused, hungry. And yet, yet he's the one who wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. You can't rejoice until you first have joy. Got to have joy first. Then you can rejoice. Where does joy come from? The Bible says 
that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. So, this fountain of living water that never runs dry ministers to the broken places in our lives, the places where we've been hurt, abandoned. You know, life has a way of leaving us scratching our head with a broken heart, wondering that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's times in our lives when the rug of life gets pulled out from under us. There's times in our life when things come against us that we didn't ask for, we didn't plan, and we don't want. And in those times, God is there. God is a fountain of living water to supply every need to the soul of a believer. And He's offering that living water to every single one of us. Now, that sounds like a pretty good deal. When Jesus says that if you, if, if you take the water that He gives, not only will you never thirst. Have you ever met those kind of people that never thirst for the world's goods? You ever met those kind of people that, that it doesn't matter whether it's raining or the sun's shining? They got the joy of the Lord. You ever met those kind of people? They're rare. They are rare. What's the difference? They got the joy of the Lord. He says here that they'll never thirst. They'll never be without what? He will put in them a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Now, if you're like me, that sounds like a good deal. Amen. Sign me up, right? Amen. I'll take some of that, Lord. I'll take some of that, Lord. Amen. Well, this woman from Samaria, she said the same thing. She said, oh, really? I'll take some of that. Look what she says here in verse number 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. That's a logical thing to say, right? I'll take some of that. Two, if you got it. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, if Jesus was a modern evangelist, he would have pronounced her right with God because she asked for it. Look, one of the, one of the funniest things you'll see, compare John the Baptist to a modern preacher. Compare John the Baptist. Look at the way that John the Baptist ministers and look at the way modern preachers minister. One of the most remarkable things that you'll see is that the floodgates opened one time. Everybody, everybody came to him. Even the Pharisees, you know, the people that Jesus called vipers. Even those people came to John the Baptist to be baptized. And they came to John the Baptist and he turned them away. Amen. When was the last time you saw a minister turn somebody away from an altar? John the Baptist did. Amen. He said no. He called them a brood of vipers. Amen. He said, where are the fruit of repentance? He was looking for brokenness and contrition in their soul. He was looking for them... But they were doing it to be religious. Amen. God's not looking for religious folks. He's looking for folks that are real with Him. That need a real change. And He's a real God who can provide it. Amen. So, this woman says what any of us would say. Give me that water. That way I don't have to worry about this water stuff no more. Modern preacher right then would have pronounced her right with God. She asked for the water. Good enough for me. Jesus wasn't done with this woman. There, there was something she needed to lay down before she took a drink. See, if you're drinking from the water of the devil, you need to put that cup down and then go and receive the fountain of living water. 
And so, look what Jesus says. Verse number 16, Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. She said, Give me that water so I don't have to come here no more and drink. He said, All right, I'll do it. Go get your husband and come here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Jesus just exposed this woman. Jesus just exposed this woman. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. Now Jesus, first time he's ever met this woman, and he already knows she's had five husbands and she's with someone right now that's not her husband. He said, you want to get right with God? You want to take the fountain of living water? Come on! But it's time to drop your sin. It's time to drop what's not of God. It's time to repent. It's time to get right with me, is what he said. You want the fountain of living water? It is ready. It is available for you. Put down the cup of the devil and come. You keep drinking from broken cisterns that can never supply the need of your soul. You keep drinking from idols and going after things that God has forbidden. God said, I will give you the living water. Just put down the cup of the devil and come and come. And that offer is available to every person today. God never changes. He said He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. And if you desire to be right with God, God is making Himself available to you today. Today! You don't have to wait another day. You don't have to wait another hour. If God's dealing with you, don't let a man stop you. Don't let a man stop you. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. I always say that the cross is the great equalizer. What I mean by that is we're all on equal ground at the cross because we're all equally worthy of damnation. All of us are equally worthy of damnation because all of us are sinners. And the cross is the great equalizer because we all desperately need the cross just as much as the one next to you. And if you put on a show and act like you don't need the cross, you're putting on a show. You're putting on a front. Because unless you cling to the old rugged cross, you'll perish. There is no hope outside of Jesus. There is no help outside of Jesus. Everything else under the sun is as God describes a broken cistern. Nothing else will help the soul of a man but the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as I said, is God manifest in the flesh on the cross of Calvary, the sinless Lamb of God allowed Himself to be crucified for your sins. He died, and three days later He rose from the dead. Buddha's still in the tomb. Muhammad's still in the tomb. Everybody else still in the tomb. There's only one person who ever said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one person who ever said, I am. There's only one person who ever, who ever said that He was the Lamb of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and His tomb is still empty today because He is alive today and seated on the throne of God, making intercession for you, crying out, praying that you would come to Him. Praise God you believe that God raised him from the dead 
and confess Him to be your Lord, you'll be saved. I want to close with one passage of Scripture in Isaiah 57, verse 15. We're going to close right here. Isaiah chapter number 57, verse number 15. The Word of God says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. That's none other than God. That's only one person. The high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. God is saying, I dwell in the high and holy place with, now listen to this, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Contrition. Contrition is something that we don't practice anymore in the church. Contrition is when your soul is bruised and afflicted. Contrition comes from knowing that God is holy and you're not. You can say it a thousand times, but until you let your heart meditate on it and go there, it won't do nothing. I could, I could give you a test and ask you, you know, is God holy? Yes. Are you? No. But until you... Until you come to grips with that, it won't change. Once you finally get a revelation of how holy God is and how desperately you need Him, then you'll run to Him. Then you'll run to Him. And God says this contrite heart, that word means a bruised and afflicted soul. A person who says, Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. When you get to that place, you'll find God. So the, 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 the heart of those that are humble and those that are contrite, God says He will revive, revive, sustain, cause to come to life again. Come in contact with the fountain of living water. You need a touch from God today? God's here. God's available. He's always on time. He's always there when you need. He might ask you to put down the cup of the devil. But if you want God, put it down and come drink of the fountain of living water. If you need a touch from the Lord this morning, we're going to open up the altars for a brief time. In, in we'll open up the altars. If you need a touch from God, we're going to open up the altars right now, and I'm going to pray. Um, if everybody will bow their heads and close their eyes.